Brought to you by Mountaineer fans for Mountaineer fans, the Country Road Webcast. What's going on, Mountaineer Nation? Welcome into season five, episode 137 of the CRW podcast, our Virginia Tech review and reaction episode. Here to discuss the 33 to 10 Mountaineer victory to bring the West Virginia Mountaineers to two and two on the 2022 season. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Cruz, and I've got my co host here with me. We've got Steven. What is going on, everybody? And Bradley. Howdy. All right, gentlemen. So, review and reaction, you know, just kind of uh, open discussion about what we saw and, you know, just kind of kick it off, I guess, with your broader thoughts about what you thought about the victory. And, uh, you know, I guess I'll kick it off first by saying, you know, I was the only one that optimistic. I felt like I said it felt weird being the optimistic one on the preview show. I predicted 34-17, 33-10 victory, so I wasn't too far off, but I just had a good feeling about this one, and I think it's just because I, I didn't think Virginia Tech was a very good team, and I think they showed that, and I guess that's kind of my opening thought, but whoever wants to take it next, go ahead and dive in. Yeah, I, I guess I was more so, you know, like I, I touched on it, you know, the atmosphere, and, you know, that that atmosphere was electric, um, you know, but that that's just another testament to how good of a win this was, I guess, is uh, – you know, you've proven that you can win in those atmospheres now. Um, and so I guess that's that's one good sign that I liked out of them. Another thing is I, I loved the emotion that, that I've seen out of everybody from from top to bottom, from Neil Brown to, to the players to, you know, because me and Cruz got to, you know, me and him and my, and my cousin raced down there at the very end and got to watch the trophy presentation down there in the end zone. And my cousin actually got some really good footage of them going into the locker room, uh, you know, and jumping up and getting everybody that they could and shaking their hands. And, you know, they were not to send it to you, but the best photo that you can imagine with Dante Stills and (laughs) and some of the other guys around and just enjoying that trophy. And so I love that the guys have bought in and, and, they've shown that much emotion. So that's one thing that I really wanted to touch on. And Neil Brown especially because during these games this season, um, I don't know if they they show up much on TV. I'm sure they do. But when you're in the stands, that man is hot. 
a lot. I'm telling you, even when things are going well, it's it's a whole different persona than what I've grown accustomed to in the last few seasons <laughs> from Neil Brown. And I don't know if that's because he feels like he's more on the hot seat now or if if it's just that, you know, now he's ready to go and he, you know, he really expects us to truly win now. Um, you know, whether whatever it may be, I've, there has been a considerable noticeable difference this season. Yeah, and I think that there's definitely because of Neil Brown's been on the hot seat. I think that he has to like, literally coach for his life. Um, I mean, watching that game, it really felt like if Neil Brown didn't win that game, he was probably probably getting his ties cut right then, which was, you know, um, I, I think came more evident as we got into game time, just how big this game was. But, yeah, I definitely think that coming out of there with a win is better than coming out of there with a loss. Um, I agree with Jordan. I didn't think that Virginia Tech was a great team. I still don't think Virginia Tech was a good team. Um, I said going into it that I thought Kansas was a significantly better team than Virginia Tech, which I think is undoubtedly true at this point in time. Um, but I I think that it's a great morale boost for the team. I think that, you know, um, getting another win in the big big environment is huge. But me as a fan, um, I'm still not putting too much, too much credit into it. I, I can't. I can't sit here and act like we've now righted this ship when we just beat a really horrible team that kind of – honestly beat themselves just as bad as we beat them. Um, you know, I think that we did good things, but I still think that, you know, the penalty saved us a lot in that game, and that's something that I just can't overlook. Um, as, as much as I want to be positive about it, it's just, you know, it, it's the truth. Yeah. And I think, you know, we mentioned that it was a huge game for Neil Brown, and I think he definitely, you know, saved his job. And we saw the turnaround we wanted to see after an 0-2 start. You get to 2-2 and now heading down, getting ready to head to Texas. And if this game, you know, was important for him, then this game's kind of the game that's going to show us as fans if West Virginia's team can actually be good this season or, or you know, if we're going to be middle of the road like we kind of thought after the 0-2 start. Because right now we're looking at it, you know, two big wins after the 0-2 start. But teams that we don't really know if, if they're any good or not, you know, one, of course, being FCS, so that is what it is. And then Virginia Tech. I think, you know, like we said, probably not the best team. So, you know, now you're going to play uh, Texas and on the road. And that's a game that this is like what the staff has talked about, being able to win against, you know, the top teams in the league and going on the road there and being able to do that would show show a lot, I think, for this season. So um, definitely going to have to see what happens there. But as far as this one goes, offensively, we'll uh, dive in on both sides. But we'll kick it off first. Offensively, what did you guys think? about uh, the run game. Let's talk about the run game first. Uh, what did you see from the Mountaineer run game in this one, Steven? Uh, I liked it. Um, you know, uh, I liked that, you know, a lot of times in the past we we would run it, run it, run it, and it just would never work, you know, and it would just be three and out after three and out. But this offense runs it when you know they're going to run it and they're still successful doing that. And so for that reason, I've been very impressed with it. Um, you know, I could see – some things improved from the offensive line play, that's for sure. Um, and Tony Mathis hasn't been as advertised or um, he hasn't been as productive as a lot of us may have thought so, thought at the beginning of the season or hoped for. But um, C.J. Donaldson has definitely been a, an, undoubted, an undoubtedly bright spot in this offense. Um, but, you know, can't we can't not forget – to mention, gosh, I can't speak right now. We can't forget to mention uh, Justin Johnson, who had a very good performance. 
on Thursday. Um, I think we should. I think we definitely do see a lot more of him going forward. Uh, but I, I truly, at this point in time, I think that CJ CJ Donaldson is the one. Justin Johnson is the two, and uh, Tony Mathis is the three. And obviously, I don't think that the the depth chart will reflect that. Um, I don't think that Neil Brown is going to demote Tony Mathis, uh, but I do think that you that you obviously will see the workload continue to shift in that direction as we've seen in the past couple of games. But overall, I've been very impressed, but mo- mostly because of C.J. Donaldson, and that's – you can't not mention him. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think that, you know, Tony Mathis outside of the fumble didn't look that bad. The fumble was pretty egregious. You know, a guy just got a hand on it and popped it out there. Um, that was pretty bad. But, I mean, he still had some fairly decent runs, you know, and he had some pretty – you know – he had one point in time there where he had, was dead to rights, five yards behind the line of scrimmage, hit a little spin move, and at least got us, you know, back to the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, by all rights, he has not looked good as C.J. Donaldson, but C.J. Donaldson has just been an absolute freak this year. Um, I mean, stupid, insane numbers, stuff that you just would have never expected going into the season from a guy that's never played running back. But I think that, you know, a lot of our credit to our running game goes to our offensive line. Our offensive line looked great this game. I mean, they were getting movement. They were making holes. They were pushing guys around. They were really just getting a push. And, you know, uh, that's why I think you were seeing everybody kind of get yards. You know, C.J. Johnson was getting yards. Uh, Tony Mathis, you know, I think he got at least 40. Justin Johnson got up there as well. Uh, Yeah, I think our offensive line probably had their best game so far. Um, Probably the best offensive line performance that we've seen in the last – since Dale Brown's been here, honestly. Yeah, and I may even go further than that. I think with this offensive line performance, maybe even since 2016 when we had Ron Cook and we were doing a lot of cool things in the run game uh, when we had Skylar Howard uh, that year. Skylar Howard and that year Wendell Smallwood led the Big 12 in rushing. Maybe since then because, um, spoiler alert, I'm going to have Cruz film review coming out uh, this week. I got to do one of those again this week. I'm going to have that coming out um, same day as uh, this podcast episode to be on the lookout for that. May already be out if you're watching this uh, later, so check it out on YouTube if it is. But um, in that, I definitely saw some things from our run game I really liked. And speaking specifically of the offensive line, there were some huge lanes open for the backs on a lot of plays. And, you know, I'd mentioned on the podcast a lot that I wanted us to, you know, find something else that we were good at in the run game because we were really good at inside zone, inside split zone. And we kind of have been. That's kind of been the one thing we've been able to do rushing-wise. Uh, past few years, we've tried to do outside zone at times, never been able to do it, you know, just kind of been a one-trick pony and just had to disguise it up in the run game. But this year, the offensive line looks like they're capable of a lot more because not only did we see outside zone a few times in that game, I know C.J. Donaldson had success on it. Justin Johnson had a few good carries on an outside zone. But also there were counter run plays, there was power run plays, and then even variations of different things off our inside zone. Um, one of which being a swing pass to Mike O'Laughlin when it looked like we were running an inside split zone, another where we fake inside zone handoff and uh, ran, ran a toss play off of that. Um, just different things like that that I really like that I saw, of course. And um, I'm sure that that will show up in the cruise film review. And um, I think some of those things that this offense is designing because they know people are going to key on certain things. I've been really impressed with, I guess, the counters that Graham Harrell has made adjustment-wise, whether it be how people are covering Bryce Ford Wheaton. You've seen Sam James have a touchdown catch. You've seen plays designed for Mike O'Laughlin. 
and even putting Michael Lawford on the same side of the field as Bryce Ford Wheaton because they knew the attention will be to uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton. That's how Michael Lawford made some of those plays. So some of the things they've designed as counters to things they've been successful with in the first three games was what really impressed me most offensively uh, in this game, I guess. Yeah, and you brought up Mike O. I thought Mike O had an amazing game, and like you said, because of Bryce Ford Wheaton. But uh, if you guys happen to catch you know, the live show afterwards, I actually gave, gave uh, Michael Laughlin my player of the game because I thought that he was just out of backfield. He was having great blocks, really making space, and then he had some really big catches. And I know he dropped one in the end zone, but he absolutely looked um, as an integral part of our team, you know, uh, on Thursday. Yeah, I think so. I liked some of the things they designed, you know, specifically for him, the tight end. And um, I think we saw early on West Virginia just do what they know they could have success with, and then that got on tape. And now they've really put up some good things in response to what's on tape and shown they can hurt multiple, hurt people in a multitude of ways. And if they can continue to do that against good defenses throughout the season, which this Virginia Tech defense right now seems to be, we'll see how that plays out as far as, you know, if they remain as high in the defensive rankings as they were coming into this game. But um, West Virginia, you know, attacked in a multitude of ways. Like you said, Michael Laughlin, Caden Prather, all kinds of things. But what do you think about this offense so far, four games in, Stephen, what you've seen from Graham Harrell early on? And then, of course, specifically in this uh, Virginia Tech game, I know we talked about the run game, but outside of that, passing concepts, um, just things like that, what, what do you like from this offense? Um, I, I really haven't seen much other than, you know, of – than the things that I've mentioned in previous um, games about the undisciplined, but you know you you didn't really get a lot of that out of this out of this bunch in this game. Um, so that that's one thing I really love about them. Uh, but one thing I really like about them is it's a really just a night and a night and day difference than what you got a year ago when you replaced just a few key pieces. You know so. You re, you get a new running back essentially. You get a new quarterback, and then you get uh, you know one new receiver. Not really even. You know you get a, a bunch of transfers on the back end, but for the most part, you you really got the bulk of what you had last year, and it's a night and day difference when you replace that one or two key pieces. And Letty Brown was not the problem. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll just say that. Um. And I've touched on it before, but I really truly think that JT Daniels is a true, true professional already. I think he's going to be playing on Sundays, um, whether it be next year or the year after. Uh, I, the way that he can, you know, can make check down or can make audibles at the line uh, when he sees certain things in the defense. Uh, I've seen a few instances in the in the Virginia Tech game. I think one of the, uh, I think the pass to Caden Prather that little dart pass over the shoulder, that touchdown pass was, uh, or not Caden Prather, but was that Sam James? Sam James, down the scene. Sam James, sorry. I got confused, sorry. Um, I think that one was, I think that one was an audible, I believe. Uh, and so that's, there's a lot that I, that I love, but there's still things that I could see improvement on. You know, I could, I could see a lot more out of the receivers, like I've touched on before, I could see a lot more out of Tony Mathis, who is, you know, supposed to be the tenured back in this bunch. So you would figure that he would. I've just seen a lot more dy- 
dynamic out of him in the past than I've seen out of this season. And I don't know whether that's just because they key on him more being the primary back or, or whatever it is. But I just don't feel like Tony Mathis has – not that he's played horrible. I don't want to, like, dog the kid out. I think that he's not played bad. He's just not played as well as I, I truly thought that he had potential to play this year. But overall, very impressed by the offense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, I think some of it might be because he's standing next to CJ Donaldson. And, you know, it, it's kind of hard to make that comparison when you got a kid that's just absolutely killing it and being like, oh, it's what Tony Mathis was supposed to be. But, you know, he could be having a better year had he not had to stand behind that guy. But I think that in total, when it comes to this offense and like something that I've noticed, and I think somebody brought it up on Twitter during the game, is how much of this offensive improvement is Graham Harrell and how much of it is JT Daniels? Um, because, you know, it, are we getting a little bit of a sugar coating with what we're going to have Graham Harrell in the future after we don't have JT Daniels, or is he just as impactful in this? And I thought that this was really the first game where JT Daniels looked a little bit more human. I mean, he was definitely missing some passes that we're not used to seeing. Um, you know, Paul attributed that to probably the wind. You guys said it was pretty windy out there on the field. I was going to um, say, I, I promise you it was the wind. <laughs> yeah. But still, like, missing wide open receivers on like pretty pretty short routes is still, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's just, windy. even if it was windy, it, it just, you know, it was one of those things where we still looked wide open, um, even though we were missing guys, you know. And I think that that was really play design. I think Graham Harrell really coached the gym of the game. Ooh, voice crack there. But coach the gym of the game and really uh, kind of showed what he's got in the works there. And so I think that that's where it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I think that and just the, the offensive line to me uh, is what was really impressive. Um, like I said, there were, there were huge, huge holes there in the run game. And I think that's been the biggest surprise for me, I guess, offensively is I thought West Virginia, you know, would probably be pretty good running the ball, but not to the point that they have. Thus far, you know, 100-yard games were few and far between. I think coming into this season, we had had 13 of them over the first three years of the Neil Brown tenure. We were 13-0. and 0. And then this season, we've ran for over 100 yards in every game. And I think over 200 and a couple and then over 301. Uh, and against good teams is what Neil Brown and the staff have been stressing. Though. They want to be able to run the ball against – Top-tier teams, I think Pitt has a really good defensive line. They ran for nearly 200 on them. Uh, Virginia Tech's defensive line is um, arguably pretty good as well and uh, ran for over 200 yards on them in this game as well. So I think the balance of the offense um, is what's really surprised me with this team. Um, I know at one point during the Virginia Tech game I looked and not only was the, the, it balanced as far as pass and run calls, what which plays were called, but in yardage as well at one point. It was like 176 rushing yards, 175 pass yards when he looked up at the stats on the video board there in Lane Stadium. So I've been really impressed with the balance of the offense and the success that West Virginia has had uh, running the football consistently so far through four games, and I hope that keeps up moving throughout the season. Yeah, I think that honestly even afterwards, I think that it was pretty dead even like in the 200s for both running and passing. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it will. If anything, that's what this this offense has shown is consistency and balance. I mean, every single game that we've watched has been, you haven't really seen a dominant, you know, side of either. You know, they don't really 
Yeah, they'll pound they'll pound you down the middle and then you know get you over top. You like that, Brad? I did like that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I know that we've all been pretty satisfied with the offense, but if we flip it over and look at the other side of the coin, the defense has kind of been a complete opposite story. Everyone's been pretty dissatisfied with the defense up to this point. But that being said, in this game, I think it was their best performance of the season uh, for sure, especially run defense-wise. They were really stout, holding Virginia Tech to 35 rushing yards, which was their lowest rushing total since 2015. I was really impressed with our defensive line, specifically Jordan Jefferson and the havoc he caused. I thought Lee Koba played his best game as a Mountaineer as well there in the middle. But what did you guys think about – kind of a bounce-back performance for the Mountaineer defense in this one. I guess specifically let's talk about the run defense first because it's definitely a positive. Uh, the pass defense can be more of a mixed bag. I don't want to say it was necessarily a negative, but run defense-wise, uh, what did you think about what you saw from this team uh, in this game against Virginia Tech, Steven? Uh, I love I loved it for the most part because Keyshawn King is is a pretty prolific player for the most part, and he made some pretty, pretty talented plays that looked – like he might break them, you know, for a lot more than he did. Uh, I, I touched on that in the uh, in the prediction show. Um, that I thought that our de- our run our defensive line mainly would be a factor in this game. Uh, not Jordan Jefferson in particular, but I thought that Dante Steeles would have a little bit more of a part. But you know. I think that's the beautiful the beautiful thing about this defensive line is you know you have a new it seems like a new guy step up every single week, um, and take on a bigger role whenever you know one other, whenever some of the other guys get double teamed or you know maybe they're just not having a good game for whatever reason. But I don't know. I think that uh, Sean Martin continued to play well. Uh, like you said, Lee Koba. It seemed like Lee Koba was in on every single tackle. Uh, it felt like. Uh, I don't know if this this is a barometer game for this defense because you know we not not to get too ahead of myself here, but you know I think that for the most part the win played a large part in how well our defense played. Meaning, you know Grant Wells isn't an accurate quarterback to start with, uh, but when you add fifteen to twenty mile per hour wind to that, you know that that really helps our defense. Uh, so. I don't know if we can read too much into that going in, going forward, but I'm definitely going to enjoy how well they played uh, in that game because it means we get to keep the Black Diamond for the foreseeable future at least. And, yeah, I think that, you know, again, I'm going to reiterate, Lee Kapogba probably had his best game so far. Um, he really stepped up in there, made some really big plays, looked, you know, as what we expected him to going into the season. But uh, – yeah, Jordan Jefferson, he looked like a dog down there. Dante Stills looked good. But it's one of those things where I still feel like Virginia Tech's running game did not get going because they were kind of forced to pass the ball. Um, penalties putting them behind. You know, they try to run it once, get stuffed, get a penalty. Now they're back, you know, 13 yards, having to try to make that up. You got to throw the ball. And then, you know, Grant Wells missed a few open guys. I mean, there's probably three plays off the top of my head that I can think of that, you know, they had his dead to rights. The touchdown pass and it just you know sailed it long went out of bounds um we held them you know and so uh i'm still just not 
extremely impressed with their defense. I thought Virginia Tech had a very mediocre offense going into this. Um, I think even more so after the game. Um, I, I did like to see the changes. I think that the most positive thing that I got out of it was just the fact that, you know, we've all talked about how Neil Brown has had a reluctancy to make changes. And, you know, we've been screaming for Jacoby Spells for weeks now. We finally get to see Jacoby Spells, and he had three big plays. One of them was bad. He got absolutely smoked. Grant Wells throws it over his head. Next play, Jacoby Spells has almost perfect coverage on a guy, um, doesn't get a call for a pass interference, and then this third play, he takes a pick six to the house. And so, you know, I will, I will live or die with a freshman making mistakes way more than I'll live or die with the senior making mistakes. Um, that's just how I feel about it. I think that the class of 2022 has really put their stamp on this season and shown what uh, how great Neil Brown's recruiting can be. And I think that it's a testament to, you know, the guys that he's finally um, – I brought this up on the live show, but I want to bring it up here again because I think it's important. But Neil Brown mentioned how he messed up his first class. He kind of missed – they kind of missed some on their first class. Um, the second class was kind of, uh, you know, we've seen some people come out of that, but then now his third class, his true class, he's gotten in here. Um, they, they made, they made an impact already, you know, and I think that that's really, really impressive. And I think that that really should give Mountaineer an idea of what's going to happen going forward with some of these players. And, you know, we haven't even got to see some of them yet. They're still developmental guys, but all of them are that talented realistically. And, you know, yeah. Jacoby Spells had that pedigree, but so does, you know, some of the other guys were getting Justin Benton coming up. He was at IMG Academy for a year, switched back, went to Georgia, has absolutely been dominant, you know. And, you know, Gulliver Prep guys, they have looked great. C.J. Donaldson being one of them. Um, Trey Lathan, a guy that's probably going to get playing time throughout the year, I would say. Um, they're good. They're good players. And, you know, that's what's exciting for me when it comes to this defense is that those guys are getting their chance, you know. We recruited them for a reason. I know that they're young, but let's give them a shot. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I you know I mentioned Jordan Jefferson. I also saw Mike Lockhart in there along with Jordan Jefferson, kind of giving us a formidable front of teams, kind of big boyish, and I really liked that uh, for this defensive line there. And um, speaking more on the, on the secondary, like you said, uh, Jacoby Spells, seeing him was great. Um, I think the secondary had their best game outside of a few lapses. You know, the main one being Weston McCormick kind of stopping and sitting and letting the receiver get behind him in the back of the end zone for the touchdown. And then after that, you saw spells uh, for pretty much the remainder of the first half. Um, McCormick came back in in the second half, though, and did play better uh, splitting time with spells. And then, of course, on the pick six, I don't know if spells was in for McCormick or Ajayi on that play specifically. I'd have to go back and look. But you saw him make a play that we haven't seen from any of the defensive backs yet. And I think it would be really great if Charles Woods comes back to have Charles Woods and Jacoby Spells together. So I'm interested to see if Jacoby Spells carves out a starting role moving forward or how much he's involved because I definitely think you should start him possibly over Wesley McCormick in my opinion. But um, like you said, I think, um, of course, like I talked about with the offensive line, I wanted to shout out Matt Moore because he's been getting a lot of hate and the offensive line really looked good. So hopefully that's a product of Matt Moore's coaching and what the offensive line can look like, you know, when they're experienced and, Hopefully that's what they'll continue to look like throughout the season. So I just thought he deserved kudos for that game. But speaking more to what you said, Bradley, about the young players, um, Neil Brown deserves some kudos uh, for this game, not only, of course, for the win and having the team prepared, all that all that jazz. But I think, like you said, uh, he's been playing the young players a little bit more now. 
And when you see the young players that he's recruited, Jacoby Spells, top-rated player in our recruiting class, gets a pick six to seal the game. Uh, Caden Prather, he's a sophomore, was one of the higher-rated uh, recruits You know, a couple years ago. He's making plays out there. On the offensive line, you got Wyatt Milam, Zach Frazier. Um, in the backfield, Justin Johnson, C.J. Donaldson. You know, you could go on and on. And then, you know, of course, like you said, across the mountain, your defense, Jacoby Spells, and you're going to see guys like Mumu Ben-Mahad. You've seen Aubrey Burks in that secondary. And I think, you know, these young guys, these freshmen, these sophomores, um, we're seeing their potential. And that also speaks to the potential of the Mountaineer football program. So I know we were all down after that 0-2 start, but let's see what happens. Let's pump the brakes a little bit because there's definitely some talent here. And these are young pieces. And if and if they can stay with us and um, they can turn it around this season, uh, the future is definitely a little brighter than we thought maybe. Yeah, and I would say, you know, guys that we haven't brought up, Hershey McLaren has looked good. Um, is it Marquis yeah, Floyd? Is, it, is this his first name? Marcus Floyd. Marcus, Marcus Floyd. Yeah. Does look good. They Those two guys have definitely looked good when they've been targeted. They've definitely made plays on balls. And, uh, you know, that, that's been encouraging to see. And so, therefore, you know, you don't hear about them as much, but I think that they've definitely had an impact. You know, Ajayi, Ajayi, Ajayi. Um, has had his moments, but I would say yeah. he's been an overall net positive. Um, I think it's really just like Weston McCormick has just looked that kind of bad, and I hate to harp on a kid. He's been the weak spot. But it, he has been, you know, and that that touchdown was bad. <laughs> I mean, he was caught. You couldn't ask him where the wide receiver was. That touchdown was a, a good-looking touchdown, though. <laughs> yeah, it was. But it was also, yeah, you know, the pass was good on that touchdown. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of, we, we talked about – Neil Brown's ability to, you know, kind of play some of these young guys more than we thought that maybe he would and his ability to kind of um, not be scared to punish players, which we kind of had seen him be in the past. We saw Tony Mathis fumble and then get taken out of the game, and it was pretty much C.J. Donaldson and, and Justin Johnson the rest of the way until the very end when Mathis got back in there once the game was kind of in hand. And then we saw him do the same on defense with McCormick after he got touchdown putting spells in. Uh, but the one place we haven't seen him do it yet, we've talked offense, defense. we got to talk special teams because why is Reese Smith still back there? That's my – I mean, we can switch to spe- special teams with that question because that's my main question. Why is he still back there? I didn't think he'd be back there for this game. Then when he was, I was like, okay, last chance. And then he muffs another one in this game, and then he still comes back out there again. I thought for sure we wouldn't see him after that, but I don't know. Why do we not have someone that can catch a punt? I'll continue to ask that for like the third week in a row. And also now, why is Reese Smith still back there when he's clearly not comfortable doing it? Yeah, I I also don't know why. And um, on the live when Paul and I talked about it, you um, you know it's kind of easy to chalk that muff up to some wind issues as well. But like I, I I'm with you with you to pregame. I want to see Preston Fox. I think that's the guy we should have back there. If you're talking about a guy that they have said catches every ball that comes his way, um, why not give him a shot? I think he's earned that shot. To be fair, you know, he's got a lot of praise. You know, we haven't gotten to see him get much playing time. But let him get the starting job on a punt return. Why not give that to the kid as a reward for the hard work that he's put in? Um, and to be honest, Reese Smith hasn't really shown up on the offensive side of the ball either. I think he's had a bit of a disappointing season. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and down Reese Smith, but he has not been what I expected him to be this season. Steven, what about you? What are your thoughts about uh, the punt return situation? Are you questioning the judgment a little bit that they keep putting Reese Smith back there? 
And then, you know, beyond that, what else you saw from special teams against Virginia Tech? Just kind of your overall thoughts, uh, special teams-wise. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I don't understand why Reese Smith will be back there. I think Preston Fox would be a good option. Um, but I also want to shout out Casey Legg for uh, for beating the Virginia Tech Hokies the other night. Absolutely. Uh, by himself, I might Top add. If, uh, if we wouldn't have scored That's any touchdowns awesome. in that game, Casey Legg could have took the field and played about played the game by himself and just kicked field goals and beat the Virginia Tech Hokies in that atmosphere. So I just want to point that out. I also want to point out that uh, Virginia Tech um, may not think the country roads is about West Virginia, uh, but it's also about a drive to West Virginia. Um, and we played it on the drive out of Virginia the other night. Anyways, That's the special right. teams. Uh, I never heard uh, the inner Sandman bring up Virginia or a Hokie at all. I will say it got a super jack to beat the butt beat their butts off the other night. Um, That's absolutely also good. the other point that I wanted to touch on on uh, special teams. Um, Anthony Del Negro. Oh yes, yeah. I love that guy. Finally gets his got first block. Tip that one has to be yeah. one of the funnest guys to watch on the team. Well, obviously. it's his first one. He's got a little piece of. I think I'd like to see him get you know the whole thing get a nice block instead of rather than just yeah. a tip. Uh, later in the season, but that's the second one he's been involved with. You know, the one against Pitt, he blew up the wedge to let Donaldson get in there. So, four games in, we've already seen him make a couple plays. So. Yeah, he runs yeah. in there with reckless abandon. I mean, he really runs in there and dares somebody to stand in front of him. And I don't know who does dares to stand in front of him because I wouldn't. Well, you can absolutely yeah. see why he was recruited purely to to play special teams. I love that. I love that. That the you know that we made that move, and I love that it's playing out positively for the most part because he's made a play in how many how many games now? You know, even in the games that we haven't won, he's he's made plays oh, yeah. in on he's special teams. So you know, other than be... other than the punt returns, I think that we've had wide success on special teams. Yeah, but I would say that it was one of the funkier special teams games that I've seen in a while. And that might have just been being in Blacksburg because, uh, first off, Virginia Tech's punter was absolutely nutty. Oh, he I mean, was he phenomenal. Was, he, was, he was putting balls in places that, you know, uh, okay. crazy. And then a guy letting a kickoff roll into a pylon, that's bold. Uh, you know, he, he just let that out there. That's a live ball. You know, if that yeah. takes one little wrong roll, then you, you're stuck it. on your one or – uh, something like that, you know, and then you got like a tip, and then you got Virginia Tech's punter constantly putting it down there. It, it was an interesting special teams game. That's true. I'd agree with that. But I think, you know, like Steven said, probably a net positive for West Virginia, especially since the muff didn't really hurt you. It rolled out of bounds. And finally, like some things went West Virginia's way this time. Like literally the ball physically bounced in West Virginia's way on that one, but, you know, metaphorically as well in this one because it seemed like it hadn't. Uh, much this season, but all in all, a net positive for the Mountaineers as it results in a 33 to 10 victory over Virginia Tech, and what will what what will be the final uh, battle for the Black Diamond for quite some time uh, for the foreseeable future. So the trophy is going to stay in Morgantown for a long time, and that's the best thing you can say about this game. But we've talked about offense, defense, special teams, gentlemen, here on season five, episode 137 of the CRW podcast. We'll get ready to wrap it up before too long, but. Before I get you all's final thoughts, I want to remind everyone, if you're watching on the video side, hit that like button, 
give us that thumbs up. That'll help this video's performance and help our future videos performances as well. And if you haven't already hit that subscribe button helps us helps you helps get this Mountaineer football content out to Mountaineer nation. And you should hit that subscribe button, whether you're watching on our YouTube or the WV sports now YouTube, as you can now find us on WVSportsNow.com as the official fan led podcast there on the WV sports now network. And um, as always, of course, um, Really appreciate you guys for tuning in as my uh, dog barks in the background, uh, per usual. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that being said, gentlemen, any final thoughts um, on the win over Virginia Tech? No, I think uh, I did want to add um, that while this may be for the foreseeable future, um, I was looking at this just earlier. Um, we do have non-conference openings starting in 2028. Um, and that I think we, that goes into thir- 2032 and beyond, obviously. Um, but as far as the years that we, that we have scheduled, um, yeah, we have all the way up through 2027 and starting in 2028, we only have Tennessee scheduled as a non-conference, uh, 2029, we have Ohio. Um, and then it also starts the, uh, the four year, uh, span with the backyard brawl continuing after a three year hiatus. Uh, from this current, um, tr- current, whatever of the backyard brawl, can't think of the word. Uh, but starting in 2028, addition. I think that the uh, the administration, yeah, addition. Thank you, Bradley. Um, I think in 2028, the administrations for both Virginia Tech and West Virginia need to get together um, and at least do another one, uh, another home and home, if not a four year, a back to back home and home. Uh, kind of like they're doing with Pitt here from 29 to, to 2032. Um, because if anything, the atmosphere alone the other night proved what this rivalry means to the fan bases, what it means to both schools. Um, and, and to be quite frankly honest with, with you, I think that, you know, I, I think both both schools need the rivalry. You know, obviously Virginia Tech still has – has Virginia and you, you might argue ODU now, um, maybe even James Madison. Um, but I think that, that West Virginia, obviously I would say that we need Pitt, you know, just for the sheer emotion of the rivalry. But I also think that we need this game too, because these are our two biggest rivals. And if you look at it in, in the history of West Virginia football, and I think the numbers prove that, you know, West Virginia in both of these games this year have broken records, not only, you know, in, in attendance in the stadiums, but also um, in, in views on the TV. So ESPN, you know, I, I don't understand why they want to take everything away, you know, that involves that kind of stuff, because that's in the beauty of college sports. But I think, you know, getting back to what my basis of sayings was, but 2028, I believe that they need to start looking at at adding Virginia Tech back on the schedule. As much as I'd like to keep that trophy for as long as possible, um, I'd like to do it by beating their butts every year. Yeah, well said. I'd agree. These rivalries deserve to be played. Virginia Tech, Pitt, both for sure, I think, deserve uh, to be played. So the first opening there that they get, I, I would definitely go after it. Uh, Bradley, what about you? Uh, final thoughts as far as uh, whether it be about the rivalry or you know just this game specifically, um, anything really? I guess uh, 
in regards to uh, close out season five, episode one thirty seven. Here, just uh, any final sentiments you got? Yeah, I'm gonna go with the anything route uh, just because I got a few just like uh, off the wall oddball things. Yeah, plug first away. off, you you brought them up a little bit. Um, if you take out sack yardage, West Virginia has ran over 200 yards in every game this season because uh, we ran 190 versus Pitt, and I think that you know JT Daniels probably got sacked for 30 yards that game. Um, second off, ESPN, you got to learn the difference between West Virginia and Virginia, and learn which teams are Virginia Tech and which team is West Virginia University because uh, they mess that up a lot, uh, many many times. I couldn't even count how many times it happened. Um, even after the game, talking about it, people saying Virginia Tech lost to a school in their own state. Come on, guys. We can do better than that. Let's get a map out. Let's show it. Let's make it. They let's did that in week one. Let's, let's make a graphic out about it. You know, let's, let's, let's do something to fix that because that's just not okay. But other than that, again, like I, I want to say I think that it's a, a good win. I think that it saved Neil Brown's job probably or didn't cost Neil Brown his job. Um, it lets him live on to kind of – um, in my mind, play out the rest of the season. I think that he can kind of be forgiven for pretty much any loss from here on out. Uh, but, yeah, I don't put too much too into it. Virginia Tech was a really bad team. And it's probably the second worst team we'll, we will play all year after Towson. And, you know, I think that it's better than a loss. But um, I'm not I'm not buying in just yet. If you want to show me any different, you got to go out and you got to play really good sound ball against Texas. But we'll talk about that in a couple of days. That's right. Um, in the meantime and in between time, it's a 33-10 to 10 victory for the Mountaineers to move them to 2-2 two and two on the 2022 season. And like Bradley said, we'll be looking ahead to Texas on episode 138, our Texas preview and predictions episode, which you'll be able to find here on YouTube if you're watching on the video side, which click that like button if you are. And then if you're listening on the audio side, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. You can find us on any podcast platform, but in between those two times releasing, we'll have plenty of content out on the channel as well. As I said, cruise film reviews coming. Also have the weekly player grade videos coming, and we'll have a Q&A stream at some point this week. Didn't get to do one last week with the short week, but we'll bring that back uh, this week for you guys um, as well. So uh, that being said, that will pretty much wrap up episode 137 here of the CRW podcast. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. Appreciate Stephen and Bradley, of course, as always, for joining me. And for those guys, as always, I'm Jordan Cruz. And until next time, let's go. Mountaineers. If you really want to know, then come on, let's go. Take a stroll down those.